There are uh, two sets of grandparents in the room. Now, are the Millers here this morning? Are the Millers, Paul and Becky, are y'all here this morning? Y'all are here this morning. So we've got the Harvards over here, Jane, Susan, Paul and Becky, are both celebrating grand, uh, grandchildren that have been born this past week. We announced them, Chapel May and Catherine, last week, but wanted to acknowledge that uh, these rosebuds over here are in celebration of those new little lives. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, Palmer, thank you for coming down uh, 313 miles. I don't know if you picked up on how, many, how far he drove, but um, he mentioned that 313 miles. But we, uh, you know, we appreciate the effort. Palmer's going all over the region to, uh, to bring greeting and to uh, remind us that, you know, just as Chapel May and Catherine are part of our family, part of our body, so are we part of one another. Uh, the, the churches across our region to encourage each other. And this past, uh, this past week, actually yesterday and the day before, we were together uh, at Mars Hill, and, um, and there were just so many celebrations. And uh, it, it's not just an administrative group. It's so many celebrations and, and worth the time. And I'm always grateful for our elders who, who uh, drive up there. You know, these are volunteers driving four hours up and uh, spending the night and being a part of these meetings. And, you know, on the way back, they told me, uh, you know, so Gene and, and, uh, and Ruth Ann and Powell and, um, and Mike, Mike Jones, they all told me what a worthwhile time it was. And so I, that, that always gratifies me. Let's turn to the scriptures from, uh, from the Word of God, Psalm 4, a Psalm of David. Hear God's word this morning. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Answer me when I call. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, now he turns to men, now he's talking to men. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you... Love vain words and seek after lies. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Now who's he talking to? He's talking to us. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. And be silent. Offer right sacrifices. And put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, bless this word now, not only to our minds to understand, but to our hearts to believe that through our lives we may live. In Jesus' name, amen. Johnny Erickson Tata is a name that should be familiar to some of you. Johnny Erickson Tata is a painter. I'm being a little coy, but she's done all kinds of things, but let's start there. She's a painter, but did you know this, that she paints with her mouth? Why does she paint with her mouth? 
Well, Johnny was born, born in uh, 1949 and at, at uh, age 18 in 1967. On a beautiful day on the Chesapeake River, she dove into shallow water and she became a paraplegic. She thought her life was over. When the doctors told her that she would never walk again or even use her arms, she just couldn't even understand it. She, she couldn't, it didn't register with her. And slowly she began to regain some sense of herself. How did she do that? Let me read you a quotation from her. She says this, In my weakness, that is, in my quadriplegia, in that is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Jesus every morning. She's 70 years old this year. And Johnny has built an organization that's international. She has been an advocate for the rights of the disabled from country to country. She's written over 40 books. How could she have done this except if she had found an anchor? I'm not saying that lightly. I'm using the image of anchor because you and I, we believe that there is a bedrock of our salvation. We believe that life is founded on something that cannot be altered by even by diving into shallow water, even by death itself. We believe that, but so often it's, it's so far removed from us, and here we are on the surface of life in our, in our boat, and, and we oftentimes we lower our anchor just into the middle of nothing, and we try to anchor right there in the middle of, of the ocean without fully engaging that anchor into the bedrock of what we believe. We do this all the time. Let me give you an example. We, we try to anchor in mid-water to nothing. We, 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 we try to anchor to personality or, or to pedigree or, or to some, some skill or even, or, or, or even uh, your personal history of accomplishments. We try to think that there's where life is and, and that there is where I'll find a sense of security and identity. And so our identity often is just an anchor that's swinging in the middle of the water, not, not founded on the bedrock of our faith. And so we know that God loves us. We know that he calls us his beloved. But are we really living there moment to moment? Let me give you an example of how we messed this up. Yesterday, I returned a rental car after the trip that I mentioned, and, um, and uh, I, I removed all my stuff, and then I drove it up to, to the uh, rental car place, and I thought, I better check one more time and make sure that I've gotten everything out of the car. And I, I, uh, I found my glasses. And, oh, my goodness. Well, that was smart. Aren't I smart? I found my glasses. I felt pretty good about myself. I locked the car. I dropped them in that little key thing that you cannot get back. Once you put them in there, they're gone, right? And as soon as that thing went ka-chunk, I thought, my laptop computer with my sermon. <laughs> you can judge today whether or not I got that back. But. So then I started, to, I started just walk around going, now, the, the corporate office is closed. The, the, there's nobody here. Uh, the businesses around don't know these people. Uh, I know that because I checked. And, uh, and then I thought, um, and then I, I, I figured it out. I figured it out. But between 
that moment and figuring it out, what do you think I thought about myself? <laughs> you know? I went from feeling pretty smug and smart about remembering my glasses to running myself down. You do this. I know you do this. You make a, a, a small error. And then you begin to say, okay, you make this little error. Here's you. You make this little error, and then you say, this is me. This is me, right? I'm always this way. This, I'm always doing stuff like this. And then you begin to believe that this is you. Where's your anchor? Your anchor is on the ability not to make a mistake. Well, good luck with that. Your anchor is just swinging right in the middle of the water. And God is saying, you are my beloved. Your anchor needs to be founded on the bedrock of that word over your life, beloved. So let's consider this morning. As we anticipate this table, this table of the beloved, how do you live there? Not, not just say, okay, somewhere deep down in life is this foundation of God's love. But how do you live there moment to moment to close that gap? I love this, uh, this, this uh, beginning uh, introduction of uh, Brennan Manning's book, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. He says this, I've written this book for myself and people like me. He says, for, for the bedraggled, beat up and burnt out, the sorely burned who are shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to another. It's for the wobbly and weak-kneed who know they don't have it all together and are too proud to accept the handout of God's amazing grace. It's, it's for inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. I love that. It's for poor, weak, sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It's for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. It's for the bent and bruised who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God. The ragamuffin gospel is for anyone who has grown weary and discouraged along the way. David wrote this psalm to himself in contrast to the people around him who were living apart from God and, 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 and on his tail chasing him and for us. Because... Uh, because he calls us beloved, we need to live there moment to moment. And as we anticipate the table, let's, let's look at it this way. We are, we are chosen people. We're taking, Jesus took the bread, right? He, he takes us into his hands, into his arms. He takes us. He blesses us. Sometimes he breaks us. And then he gives us over to one another. So let's take a look at being chosen being blessed, being broken, being given. First of all, we are, we're chosen to be beloved, to live moment to moment as God's beloved. Not just to say it's down there somewhere, but to anchor yourself there is to recognize that you are chosen. You're chosen. And, and in building a sense of confidence in that, in being chosen, in building your identity that God has chosen you, you can call that out in, in other people as well. But, but there's a confidence there that you see in verse 1. Let's read it again. Would you all open that up again if you have your Bibles this morning? 
Answer me when I call, David says. Now that is bold. He's talking to his creator. He's talking to your creator. He's talking to the God of the universe. He's saying, answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, answer me when I call. You've given me relief. Essentially, he's looking to the past. Be gracious and hear my prayer. Now, I remember when, when um, uh, our triplets were very young. Caroline was especially good at this. If I was talking to her, especially at night, and I was going and tucking her in, and my face was really close to her, and she's telling me something, she's trying to tell me something about her day. If I ever lost eye contact with her, if I start looking this way, she'd take my face and she'd go, Daddy, listen, listen. I love that. Just take my face and just turn it right back to her. David is saying to God, God, listen to me. Do you see the confidence? Caroline knew that she deserved, she wanted, she was, she was my child. I am her father. And she had the confidence to take my face and say, I want you to listen to me. That's somebody who knows they're, they're chosen. Now, you know, it, the, one of the things I was thinking of this week is, is the whole idea of adoption. It's a beautiful image of being adopted. If you're, if you're a child of God, every one of us is adopted. And you know, sometimes adopted children, they have, um, sometimes they have, you know, just a little bit of a, a, attachment issues. And so they, they can't always, uh, they can't always believe that they're loved, I love reading, you know, one of our partners, local partners, so when we give, we, we also are giving to uh, the Open Door Adoption Agency here, and I love, I love praying over those faces and those children, those names, and, and, and asking the Lord to open somebody's, somebody's door and somebody's heart to one of these children for them to have a forever family, but, you know, sometimes children, they don't believe that when they're adopted that they are chosen, that they belong, that they're truly beloved, and, you know, that's true for every one of us. I gave my mom a really hard time. You know, I remember um, when, when, uh, when the kids were, I mean, I was a risk, risk taker. In a lot of, and, and so I know I, I, most of her gray hair was a result of my risk, risk taking. And, and I, I remember when, when any of our kids would take risks or whenever anything would go haywire, my mom would pol- apologize to Beth, my wife. She'd say, I'm sorry this is happening to you, but it's really directed at Tim, all right? This is payback for what he did to me, right? And so, you know, sometimes there is this, for, for even for, for biological children, there is, there's a sense of distance, there's a sense of, of, of a rub or rift. And parents have to again and again remind their children, whether adopted or whether they're biological, that you're mine. When we come to the table, what God is saying to us is, you belong here. You are my beloved. And so one of the reasons we do communion every month, once a month, at the beginning of the month, is just to be reminded whose we are, that we're beloved, we're chosen, we belong here. Second, we're blessed. So God, through Jesus Christ, Jesus takes the bread, he takes it, he blesses it. He blesses it. He says a blessing over it. God has said a blessing over your life. And, and that means he's called out in you that remnant of his own image. David talks about uh, the reflection that he has. Uh, later on in the psalm, he talks about the reflection. Reflect off of me to other people your very image. 
reflect that there. But in verses 2 and 3, he is calling out the people that are denigrating his own dignity. He's drawing a line. He's saying, look, there are limits. I'm a child of God, and I have a certain measure of dignity. Don't cross that. And you say, well, Tim, what about turning the other cheek? I mean, why is David always sort of saying things to his enemies that don't sound like turning the other, other cheek? Sometimes we have to know when to turn the other cheek, and sometimes we need to know when to turn over the tables. You know? Jesus wasn't turning the, uh, turning the other cheek when he was turning over the tables, right? In other words, sometimes we can use turning the other cheek as if Jesus were a pacifist, as if Jesus were just simply avoiding conflict, as if Jesus were, were saying it's okay to run people down. It's not. Turning the other cheek is a bold move when you're saying, look, I'm standing here with you. I'm hanging in there with you, but there are limits. I, I remember when I was, um, you know, about 20 years ago, I was working with a guy who... Um, who really was having a hard time. He, was feeling, he wasn't feeling beloved. And a lot of times he was very competitive with me. And I, I kept trying to win him over through modeling. I kept trying to turn the other cheek and turn the other cheek and turn the other cheek. And, um, and it wasn't working. I kept thinking, you know, he knows I'm not carrying any concealed weapons. He knows that I'm, I'm on his side. I'm a team player. Why doesn't he behave the way that, that I, I am behaving? And you know, I was, I was really wimping out. I really needed to have a difficult conversation with him and just say, hey, listen, this is, not, this is not good. What you're doing isn't good for you. And it's not good for me. And it's really putting something between us. And David is saying, look, it's okay sometimes to, to draw lines, to recognize that there's a value that you have and there's an identity that you have and you're not made to be a doormat. Friedman Friedman's fables, uh, Friedman talks about the fact that sometimes uh, we believe that, that people who are very reactive and toxic people in our lives are somehow going to be won over simply by good behavior and modeling, when what they need to be won over is grace and truth bound together. Sometimes telling the truth is a very gracious thing to do. And that's what, that's what David's saying. He's saying, look, if you're going to understand grace, you've got to understand who you are. And you can't understand who you are if you're running me down. See, you're blessed. You're blessed. Don't forget it. And don't, don't let the world trample you in such a way that puts you in the position of avoiding avoiding conflict, and as a result, sends a message to the world, to people around you, and to your own soul that somehow you're less than. That's not the call. You're made in the image and nature of God. Grace and truth are bound together. The third, he breaks the... So that doesn't mean that, that sometimes life isn't difficult and that, that God isn't using the difficulty of life. God takes the bread. He chooses his beloved. He he blesses his beloved. Sometimes he breaks his beloved. God disciplines those whom he loves. And you know this part, right? Uh, we've just been trimming all our bushes, right? And a lot of times uh, what I'll do is 
I'll just, I don't want to trim them down too far because I don't want them to look kind of hairy. You know, I mean, I don't want them to look bad. I, want, I don't want you to see their legs, right? I want you to see the, the you know, th- these are nice, but, but, but eventually that's not good for the bushes, right? And so we, if you come by our house, you'll see, I mean, they're, it was pretty drastic. Serious pruning going on. It, it's very good for the bushes, very good for them. You know, sometimes we, out, we get too big for our own bushes too. We get a little too big for our britches. And, and we begin to think that our anchor swinging in nothing is somehow, is somehow securing our lives. All those things that I listed that are assets to us, sometimes we, we begin to invest there, our identity there, our security there. And sometimes God shakes the foundation to see, what are you building on? Are you building off of the foundation, or are you anchored to the foundation? See, all of these different images are just to tell you, look, God gets personal sometimes. And yeah, a lot of times what's happening to us is simply circumstances of the world. And, and God grieves with us when we suffer. But don't ever think he can't use all of it. And sometimes, yes, God is engineering our circumstances to prune us, to prune us. You see this... David is receiving this. He, he's not just saying, oh, okay, I know that they're the bad guys and I'm the good guy. He's saying, look, I'm going to sit with this. I'm going to be silent. Look, look back again at verse 4. Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry, but do not sin. You heard Jesus quote that before. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent in the face of the difficult circumstance that you have. A lot of times we are ready to speak, ready for justice, ready to lash back, very reactive. We need to sit with the adversarial conditions of our life, people, events, and circumstances, and say, Lord, where are you in this? What are you teaching me in this? How might you be disciplining me in the midst of this? And be willing to say this with Jesus, with David. Take me all the way down to the bedrock of your love in the midst of this circumstance. That means let me be fully awake, alive, aware. Break me all the way down in this. Let's not string this out over the next few years. Let's learn this lesson right now. Let's do it right now. You see this with, with, uh, with people who are suffering with addictions. A lot of times they'll just get down about halfway down. They'll go, okay, I think I understand. That pain is enough. That's enough pain. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got the idea. Uh, life is out of control. I need to make some changes. All right, I'm going to try harder. But what they need to do is go all the way down, just like we need to go all the way down, like David's going all the way down. And say, Lord, teach me the depth of this lesson. Break me all the way down chop these these leggy limbs of mine all the way down to where I can find life again, real life, where it's rooted and grounded. And finally this, Jesus, he takes the bread. He takes you as his beloved. He blesses you as his beloved. Sometimes he breaks you down as his beloved. And then he gives you over. He gives you. He gives you back into your life circumstances. He gives you back into the lives of the people around you. He gives you back into the roles that you play. More fully awake and alive to his love. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a sibling. Maybe you're a doctor. 
Maybe you're a volunteer somewhere. But what is the shape of that role because you are God's beloved in that role? You ever thought about that? Are you fully awake and alive? Are you living moment to moment anchored in that role? How might you think, gosh, this person is, is driving me crazy. How can, I, how can I go back into this situation? God gives us back and puts us back right back into the messes that we're in with the confidence that we're actually called to those messes, called to those moments. And sometimes we get some of that on us, don't we, right? You're in a mess with somebody in your life right now, probably. And you're getting some of that on you, and you're thinking, ooh, that's on me now. I mean, it feels like I'm, I've got some responsibility. What do you do? Do you try to fix the other person? That's what most of us try to do. What are we being called to today? As God's beloved, as God's chosen, blessed, broken, given people. We're called to be different kinds of people to see ourselves in those, those circumstances totally differently from the way we saw them before, to be in the mess, to be in the relationship, to be in the role as a different kind of person, a beloved person, somebody who's defined by that word. You know, David, uh, you know, in and around this time, and, and, and a lot of the Psalms represent David on the run from somebody, right? And one of those, such, one of those times where, you know, is reflective of this very psalm is when he is in Ziklag on the run from Absalom, his own son. And he's, he's exiled, from, he's exiled from, from, uh, from, from the presence of the courts, right? And he's on the periphery of life. And Ziklag is a place where, where so many others who are on the margins of life have come. And here is this motley crew of people that even in Ziklag, David identifies as a man after God's own heart. Why? He's simply reciprocating. Why is David a man after God's own heart, even though he's a broken man? Because he's reciprocating the love he's received. Why is, he, why is he a man after God's own heart, even on the run, even on the periphery of life, even outside the course of the Lord? Because he's reciprocating. He has received, and he's giving what he has received. That's you. That's you. He turns in the psalm. He addresses God confidently, takes his face. He acknowledges the dignity and worth of his life as a, as a man, as a child of God, creating his image and nature. Then he turns and speaks to you and to me and says, you all, this is, this is the identity, the only identity that's worth anchoring into. Where's your anchor this morning? What, what images come to mind when you think of your confidence, where it really lies, moment to moment? Where is your anchor and how do you need to come this morning to this table and to be reminded of his love? Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that your actions in history, even as David has reflected on your encouragement of him in the past, your actions in history on the cross, your actions in history in our own lives and circumstances, your actions in history in the quiet of our hearts, your actions in history displayed in the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through the elements today. Remind us of your love. God, would you make us people whose hearts are tender to that message this morning. 
that as we receive this bread and from this cup, we may experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.